Ba 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 ba. That's Zappa singing happy together. Sing along. Ba ba ba. Welcome to the evening tickler with Steve and Steve. We have a special guest for all of you, maybe one or two that are listening in and not paying attention to the Super Bowl. Blah 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 blah. National holiday, more important than our elections. More people watch the Super Bowl than vote. Um, I heard a very interesting thing that many of you um, probably are familiar with, that New York City puts out uh, an alert on Super Bowl because at halftime, when everybody, after eating the nachos and the wings and the pizza and the large tablespoons full of just straight-up mayo um, and the beer and, and everything else, they run to the bathroom. And in the city, when, all, when 8 million toilets flush at the same time, it wrecks havoc on the entire system, which we here in the watershed are responsible for. The um, Pactin drops nearly a foot in three minutes during <laughs> halftime. And, and the, pipes, the pipes moan and squeeze. And, and there's, there's a lot of danger and risk in the halftime flushing thing. And but here we are. We're up here in the mountains where we're really not victims of that sort of thing. We are we are kind of victims of, of having all bought into the crazy Kool-Aid of, uh, of Super Bowl. And for those of you that are listening to us, thank you so much. I know that it doesn't start for a half an hour or so, but um, I want to remind you that at the, in the evening tickler, it only gets good in the second half of the show. So uh, you might be leaving us, but then again, you might be so seduced with our guest tonight that you will decide to sacrifice your Super Bowl fix for an extra half an hour of having the lovely Kristen in your ear. Kristen, hi, welcome. Hi, thank you. Um, I got to first meet this woman in church she showed up. I could I could feel her behind me. I, I felt that there was finally somebody in the church that was younger than me. Um, and I'm I am I'm not a young person, but I'm generally the youngest person in that church. And I think that she shows up just because she needs to escape her house with her kids for a few minutes. And we do have a pastor who's entertaining, and and uh, and he does. Uh, a great job for an hour, giving me anyway a, a, a little moral lesson in how to behave. Uh, speaking of which, one of the things about tonight being Super Bowl night that I love is that um, the the people that report us, that report the evening tickler to the FCC because of our content, which is inappropriate and strange, will probably not be listening tonight. So I think it's safe for us to explore <laughs> the unexplorable and not have all the scolds out there uh, uh, calling in and, and absolutely, you know, finding us out. So this is going to be a particularly fun evening because I think we have license. I don't even think the FCC is listening. They're all all watching the Super Bowl and eating the gross food. And we can do whatever we want. We can have our little talk party here and not be worried. What do you think, Z? The second half, half hour. Okay. No, they still might be trying to do their job. But once the game starts. <sighs> yeah, okay. We'll see what happens. We'll see who calls in. Um, so let's do, a, let's do a, a, like a normal first half hour, and then we'll just amp it Then we'll it up. rip it. Then we'll, we'll rip, rip it. it. Um, Kristen is... My curiosity 
uh, cabinet. She she represents that beautiful glass case that has objects in it that are curious. That's why they call it a curiosity cabinet. She has, uh, like a good pinata, all of these like really surprising little bits inside of her. Um, she plays the banjo, <laughs> I think three songs well. Mm-hmm. Um, she is an expert uh, trap shooter, so beware. She is a mother of two boys, three and five, so you know she is strong, righteous, perseverant, and does not take any S-H, you fill in the blanks. Uh, she's kind of badass, if you will. Uh, and with all of that, she has a day job where she critically thinks and applies her uh, higher education and, uh, and, and training, educational training and, and life uh, training towards uh, making our mountains a better place. And, and we'll talk about that. But mostly, and this is the thing in, in the curiosity cabinet of Kristen, that I am very interested in exploring tonight. And I don't know how we're going to get into it, but with all of the plates that she spins and keeps up, there is one plate that she's been spinning for several years and has recently uh, completed. The, the plate is down. And that is, I think, a series of, uh, of novels that are in the... Um, the spirit of Harry Potter, I think. But I've, I have never talked to her about this. There was one little missive that that has been whispered about that she finally got it done. And I can't wait to talk to somebody who, with a life that probably doesn't have a lot of sleep involved with it, has managed to accomplish writing um, some books. It's phenomenal. Let's let's start with that, Kristen. What What's going on there? So, yes, on uh, December 31st of 2018, I, I finished my manuscript, I suppose, and it's somewhere between like a 37th draft and a first draft, depending on where in the book you look. Um, it is what I believe to be the first of three novels in a series. Um, I've written the bulk of the second two, but this is the first one that I've tried to polish um, so yeah, I, I have let it sit for, for 31 days and I just cracked into it on the 1st of February. Um, I'm giving it a read through to, to see if it's really horrific. Um, so far it doesn't seem to be, but yeah, that's, that's what I've been working on for in, in, in earnest for about five years. And what's the subject? So I, I suppose, and this is where I get really uncomfortable um, when people ask me what, it, That's what it's good. about. That's good, because guess what? Nobody's looking at us, and nobody's, nobody's listening. listening, so you can get, get uncomfortable. Okay. Um, so I would say that you know, the genre is, is fantasy, and roughly young adult, one of the protagonists is you know, 17 going on 18. Um, but it's really about a, a girl, you know, finding, finding who she is and who she's meant to be sort of at one end of the life spectrum and a destroyer that she's paired with, um, and I'll get into that in a second, who's at the opposite end of the spectrum. He's lived for 200 years, um, and he's sort of having to find the, 
the worth in life and together they are fighting against corruption. Um, so a destroyer in my, in my novel is, in the English language, it was traditionally the war horse that a knight went to battle on, you know, the steed that the knight, mm. knight rode. Um, in my story, a destroyer is what we would consider a unicorn, but it's a war unicorn um, with a retractable horn. And it's a, a race of horses that were put into exile and have been in hiding for over a century. And when he meets this girl, he has to come out of hiding. So it's uh, three, three, I think, books about, about their adventures. Now, in the normal world, that type of an imagination is either met with parents that take you into therapy very early on or um, or there's that thing where you escape all of that and just in secret develop this. Has, has this been a story that you've been playing with since you were a kid? So the the destroyer, the, the, the war unicorn um, in my story, he's he's been the consistent character and he's been sort of knocking around in my head since I was 12. Um, mm. I was really inspired by the works of Philip Pullman. Um, he wrote the His Dark Materials trilogy, and some of the characters in those books, um, I guess, really, really inspired me. And I've always, I've always been a little bit of a, a storyteller, so I've been trying to find an outlet for, for the Destroyer ever since. Love the name. Uh, I do too. I, th I think Z probably grew up on a destroyer, uh, <laughs> or maybe has some on her farm right now that we don't know about. They're in training. <laughs> They're waiting for a war. Uh, so you, February first, which was I think yesterday, you started to reread after uh -huh. not looking at it for thirty-one days, um, and and having worked on something really since you were twelve and writing for several years on this thing. I find, as um, a real sort of lily dipper when it comes to any form of art, that after living with my work for a while, I come to hate it. I just can't <laughs> go back to it. And, and a new audience will see it, and, the, and they'll think of it as maybe what I did when I did it. But um, do you find it hard to go back and, and reread something you've been living with for five years and with fresh eyes? And it's, it's impossible to look at it as if I were a an actual reader looking at it for yeah. the first time. I mean, all of the characters are three-dimensional in my head. Now, we have our moments where I sit down to write and they are stubbornly two-dimensional. I cannot peel them off the page. But then there's days where I'm just sitting back and taking notes. I'm watching what they're doing. And, you know, to have that in my head... It's hard to read what I've written and not fill in the blanks. And I'm, I'm supposed to be reading this looking for blanks, looking yeah. for places where they, they fall flat with the reader. Yeah. So that's, that's difficult, the difficult part about me looking, looking bad, back at it. But I can't, I can't hate them because they're in my head all the time, which sounds yeah. a little disturbing. That, well, no, it's not disturbing at all. We all have those characters. If, if we're lucky... And if the medication hasn't killed them, <laughs> we're, we're very lucky that they're still uh, running around. But the so now you're at that point where you're an editor of your of your work and you're trying to think it through critically, um, and you're I suppose getting ready to find a publisher. And 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 um, where does the writing process stop? When do you 
say it's done? So my intention is after I read through it and, you know, if I come out at the other end and say this is a, a crock of unmentionables. Then... It's okay because nobody's listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not okay. <laughs> no, it's, it's, no, We're it's really recorded. not. We're recorded. It's really not okay. Right. Thank you, Steve. Um, <laughs> I, I, I intend to let some some early readers read it, and, and I don't envy their job at all because they don't have the fun of reading a well-edited book. Uh-huh. They have to look at it and say, oh, well, this part really dragged, or this dialogue is, you know, this isn't real. Um, so they have to be critical, and I'm, and I'm fortunate to have some people that are willing to do that. And they're going to give me some feedback. I... I appreciate feedback. I, I don't think anybody can be more critical than I am. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm I'm prepared for that. And when they have done that, I'm going to incorporate their revisions, and then I'm going to give it to people that would expect more of a polished thing and see what they say. And if I can get past that point, then I would be looking for an agent. Yeah, yeah. And- She's going to speak now. No, I am. I have a question. So, as, as you were telling us that you internalized, and this is, these, these characters have been part of you for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, what made you want to introduce them to the world? Mm. I don't know. I mean, I I think it's just part of when I when I experience any given day, I'm thinking of it in the retelling. You know, I I whether it's going to the grocery store or something that's actually, you know, quasi interesting. I, it's like, I don't experience it in real time. I'm telling it back to myself as if I were telling it to somebody else. And, you know, I, I like to make things interesting for other people. And if these characters aren't interesting to other people, then so be it. You know, they've kept me entertained for a couple of decades. Um, but that's, that's sort of my my end goal is to tell a story that entertains. And so with these characters that have been developing and living in you, but moreover, um, as you just said, in the third dimension, using you as their tool to make themselves known, it takes a bit because it ultimately, I think, becomes autobiographical. It takes a little bit of courage to open the kimono and show the world, you know, what your beliefs are and um, what motivates you and and what the nature of what you consider things in a heroic book like this, betrayals and 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 goals that are that are worth dying for and and striving for and you know with the characters that you've mentioned, you know, a, an old vampire so to speak and a young uh, pure girl. And then uh, a fabulous horse that's got a retractable horn that can poke people um, <laughs> when it gets angry and probably gets petted when it's not. Um, these these are really the touchstones of who you are. And you know, when I think as a writer or as an artist, when you put that down, it's a very vulnerable thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you you uh, you mentioned that there's nobody more critical than you, but. Um, and that's good. You have to have thick skin if you're going to go out there into the world. But um, it's got to be very titillating, and, and it's got to be, you know, the skin's got to be very thin when you take that out. As as Z said, you know, you choosing to expose this to the world, there's got to be that. Ooh. Certainly. Um, and that's 
part of writing in um, in the the young adult sort of sector, you're you're looking at a coming of age story, to so to uh, so to speak. And my main character, you know, she she is not me. In many ways, she is far better than I am. Um, and and some of her quirks, I would like to think that I don't possess, but. Um, you know, they say, write what you know, and it's, it's something that you can't help but have your experiences filter into sort of each of your characters. Um, so there, there is a certain amount of, you know, when people read this, are they going to be judging me, <laughs> thinking that I am somehow of reflected? They are. <laughs> yes, yes. Which right is or why wrong. I'm hesitant to, to have people read it. <laughs> Uh, it's a small town and people will talk. Let me tell you. Uh, Kristen is from Bovina, uh, as am I. And Z is just right over the mountain in Andes. So when they start to talk about this strange character who's... We will know. We will yes. know who that is. And But it doesn't sound like the tar and feather is going to come your way. It won't sound, doesn't sound like you're going to be run out of town. Um, uh, do you have great expectations for this? Um. So if, if you ask anybody that, that knows me, they, they would tell you that I tend to set the bar very low. I am prepared to be very disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, mm-hmm. that's just kind of my, my approach. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that I was able to finish the manuscript, and I'm going to continue working on it. Um, I'm glad that things have gotten from you know the trap inside my head and out onto paper where if somebody is so inclined, they could read it. Um, of course I would love to be traditionally published and I think most authors do want to be published. Um, but I, I'm setting the the bar low so that I don't get disappointed. (laughs) The the opportunities are are somewhat different and I, and I think that's a great thing because you don't have to have a publisher invest an incredible amount of money into a print edition. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be an electronic digital edition and I, I think it allows a lot of, author and voices to come out. A very good friend of mine um, wrote this book. I mean, she's, she's very funny and, and so is the book. But you know, I read the book. I mean, no publisher would have published it. Mm-hmm. But it's on Amazon and people do read it. And it's, it's, it's a great book. I mean, it's a short little book. But had she gone through an agent and a publisher, her voice possibly would never have been heard. And my, my husband and I have talked about this quite a bit you know the the way the model works and i just i as a as a gift to myself after after finishing my manuscript i bought a book at barnes and noble about the world of publishing and i i read it and it is horribly depressing um but it's one of those things where even high quality work if it's not something that you know, collectively is going to sell, then it's not going to get picked up. It's not going to get published. And that's why, you know, self-publishing is is so popular right now. And I'm of two minds on it because I've I've read very good works that have been self-published. And it was just, you know, they're outside of the, the easily saleable stories. Um, but then I've also read stuff that has been sort of churned out by the Amazon model that was clearly not edited. And I don't want to fall into that 
pit either. You know, if, if somebody's going to read something I, I wrote, I'm, I'm going to cling to my pride and I, I want it to be well edited and not just be something that I've shoved out there because nobody would take it. Um, so I, I think that it's, I mean, the software that I use for writing, I can click a button and have it printed in, in a ebook form so that somebody could read it on their Kindle. And maybe that's as far as it'll ever get, you know, friends and family that take pity on me. <laughs> but was <laughs> it the whole Harry Potter saga, like, rejected I don't know how many times? I've, I've read all sorts of stories where things that have won, you know, prizes, literature, people have taken and submitted the same words under a different author's name just to see if, if you know, the people they're submitting it to are even reading it and they're not you know, nobody, nobody bites at it. And I think there's lots of evidence out there that great, great works are passed over because, you know, oh, well, it won't. Well, one work, I mean, that was by no means great, but it had to do with, um, oh gosh, it was that trilogy about the gray, Mr. Gray, whatever it was. Oh, oh, Uh, yes. What, what's it called? Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey. So that, yes. that wasn't that self-published, wasn't I, it? Yes, and I think look at so. the success. <laughs> and you know, it's like tens of millions of copies of these books. Mm-hmm. The fates are vaporous, and we don't know. And I think it's very good that we have an author here who's keeping her bar extremely low. <laughs> so that she doesn't trip over what could be. But um, being a a realist and and being from Bovina, because only great people uh, are in Bovina, we can do a few things that will make her less than obscure. For example, after the show and after everybody else is still gorging themselves on tablespoons full of mayonnaise and beer, I am going to be getting my chainsaw out, and I'm going to begin carving this war, this warrior horse unicorn. And it will be of a size and a scale so that when you drive into Bovina, you have to drive through its legs and its underbelly. <laughs> this is, I assume, a male horse. He, so yes, it's, yes. Stu- its junk is going to be like hanging. <laughs> People will say, um, what? What creature is this, and how could it have possibly come here now? And it will begin the myth-making. Well, well there is. Sorry. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, I, if, if you do that, then I don't need to be published. Oh, you do? Because, no, because all I want all I want is, is for the world to know about this destroyer, and you will make it so that he is known. But, you, it's, but it's interesting because there is, you know, <laughs> I mean, you go back to the medieval and the famous, um, the famous t- tapestries. There is a relationship between maidens and unicorns. Oh, what's that? Well, it's sexual in nature. Okay, so I'm going to put that into the big horse. (laughs) And when people stop their car underneath the horse, there'll be a little sign that says, tickle me here. And then the horn will retract or extend itself, depending upon how the tickle happens. Why did I even bring this subject up? I was going literary. He's taking it down uh, into the... I am not at all taking this anywhere but to an appropriate and very Mm -hmm. literate point. Because... Um, when you do introduce um, a creature in a fable and a story like Who's that. Who's going to be this huge unicorn with enormous genitals. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, the genitals are on its forehead. That's uh-huh. what the oh, unicorn all right. is okay. all about, I all think. Right. Okay? okay. That's what you were taught. <laughs> you started to bring that up. See, shame on you. I did. That yes. relationship between maidens and unicorns. You right. said that. Did, um, Kristen, am I wrong? She, she brought that <laughs> she, up. She did. She did. She did. Okay. I did. So we're going to get that going. But it is silly at this point with you at the stage where you are after a 
31-day hiatus, going back fresh into reading this, to think that it's going to be thing, it be anything other than the next new trilogy that will be that will find out Hollywood and, and or maybe Netflix at this point. You They've should. been doing amazing things. Like one of amazing. one of my most one of my favorite authors just landed a deal with yeah. Netflix, and I am so and excited. Guess, <laughs> and guess who does most of the accounting software for all of those movies now? A Bovinian. True. Yeah, that's very true. So you know, you are not here, and you didn't show up here two years ago by accident. This is true. All of the this pieces. You know, it could be one of those, like, very interesting stories mm -hmm. that all write, okay, which will be a movie also. I mean, <laughs> uh, and, and maybe uh, because uh, you'll be able to act in it. Oh, okay. Uh, it'll be better than your movie because, I mean, come on. One, one would expect with, that to be so. Um, you should be starting to think about how you're going to spend the money. <laughs> how are you going to spend the money? And... Uh, we'll get to that, but what I really want to know about is because you've you've led a, I mean you you grew up on a farm. You were milking at the age of ten. Um, you studied hard. You went to college. You got the right job. You've got the kids. You've got the mortgage. You got the cars. You got the husband. You know you're doing everything right. Phase one of your life is coming along just the way it should. You're like crushed by debt. The whole thing. <laughs> and but which gives you the freedom and the license to start to think about what you will do with the money <laughs> and how you will handle the fame. The, which, the money, you know, you can get advisors to help you with the money, but the fame is what I understand really ruins most people. I, I don't care if anybody likes me. I just want them to like the characters. Yeah, uh, you see, you're being very naive here. See, tell her what could happen if this thing took so off. So what could happen is that you're going to find this, like in the entrance to Pavana, you're going to find this like enormous, huge unicorn. <laughs> and next to the unicorn, you're going to find a director's chair. And in that director's chair is going to be Mr. Burnett with a megaphone. <laughs> and a tin cup. And a tin cup. I, I'm going to take 10% off of this of thing. Every yeah, right. little thing Everybody that, that comes into what's the title of your book? So my my father asked me the same question this morning. Yeah. Um, and I, I suspect that most people have working titles of their books and by the time it's published it's very different. Right. But I just it's it's called The Destroyers and the that Destryers. Is, it's very simple. Right. And I will and I will work with Z because she raises a lot of animals and, and after she eats the meat she takes the skins and has them processed. We have a few of them in our own home. I'm going to commission Z to uh, sew together a destroyer uh, outfit for me. So when I sit in the chair, I will look like that creature with my tin cup and charge everybody like a toll gate, you know. That. No, no, I, I think, well, no. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> okay, help me. Help me here. <laughs> the destroyer is next to you. You've just sculpted it. Like huge, uh, enormous. Why would you yeah. want to dress as a smaller one? No. Uh, you had a good point there. Right. So you got to be. The destroyer might be offended. It might yeah. be offended. And then. And know. I'm hanging underneath that stuff. Mm -hmm. and that right. Get, you know. So no, but you should, you should be like dressed in classic, you know, English hunting clothes. Uh, you I know, like with tall black boots. You know, your megaphone. But the, the, the old fashioned kind of pants. You know, the one with the puffy. Yeah. Sides, right? Right. And There's that a state trooper. Right. Look, those. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. The puffy look. That soft, innocent. 
soft look. But this is a, I mean, this is a war story, ultimately. I mean, all stories, from what I understand, start with uh, a person uh, goes out of their house, and uh, for whatever reason, they get kicked out. They have a vision. They, they want to wander. And they're on the road, and then they're off the road, and they're in the woods, and all sorts of weird stuff starts to happen. And at the end, there's redemption. You know, so they, they grow up. They, you know, the, the things that they love die, but uh, they incorporate them. All that wonderful stuff that stories have to be made of because you're obligated to play with cliches, but you have to put new energy into it. And when you reread your book, or if I was to reread it, um, because it sounds like it's got the hallmarks of a, of a classic uh, adventure coming-of-age story, what I what my ear is going to be looking for is how has she put new energy into these old stories? Um, so, um, what what would you if I were your editor and I before I read it said this is what I'm going to be looking for and just clue me into where uh, these cliches are going to start to really brighten up. So it's been very very popular lately to have a strong female character and everything from Katniss Everdeen to Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's great, you know, having a woman that doesn't need a man to do what she wants to do. Um and my protagonist, her name is Liana. She she kind of starts off thinking she's all that, you know, she's had training, she can handle a sword, she can she can take care of herself. Um but when it comes right down to it, we're not all born superheroes, and we're not just one training montage away from greatness. Um, so when you know the the metal meets the road a little bit, she finds out that maybe she's not as badass as she thought she was, and so the story is taking her to finding out who what her true talents are and where she can really make a difference that isn't you know running people through and, and, you know, sort of taking charge of physical situations. Um, so she's, she's strong. She's a strong female character, but it's, it's not in the way that's become popular. She kind of has to take a step back and find out who she really is and what her strengths are. So, um, Leona, the, is that the name of the? Leanna. Leanna. rhymes with Vienna. Leanna. Um, has come into our lives now and hopefully through these magical airwaves has uh, entered your brain ball and is beginning to percolate in in the way that viruses do where (laughs) you're either going to find yourself um, absolutely fevered or maybe you're going to find well we're going to you mean fevered by um, the unicorn? <laughs> All right, so let me just... Let me... Eric inviting you to catch the 831 <laughs> every weekday morning on WIOX for local news, weather, sports, time checks, and the occasional commentary. Catch the 831 with Kent Garrett Monday through Friday mornings on WIOX Community Radio. The 831. It doesn't leave the station at 831. It's on the station. Let's meet here then. 
WIOX is supported by the Mountain Eagle Weekly Newspaper, serving Schoharie, Delaware, and Greene Counties with local news, politics, sports, cultural events, information, and business services. Available at stores in Stamford, Bloomville, Hobart, Davenport, by subscription, and online at themountaineagle.com, T-H-E hyphen mountaineagle.com. WIOX is supported by Margaretville Liquor Store with a wide variety of wines including Rosé, Sauvignon, Alberino, and Vino Verde. Margaretville Liquor Store Main Street in Margaretville opens seven days a week, 845-586-4314. So get, get this, kids. Um, we have a coming-of-age superhero girl who's turning into a young lady who has all of the attributes of what the traditional you know, female lead superhero doesn't need a man is all about. And then this happens, and, and this is that point of difference. And, and we want you to send us cards and postcards on what you think of this, but this is what happens. At that inflection point where most of these stories take off with her controlling the story with all of these extraordinary powers, you know, she develops humility. I I love that idea that she just she gets like real like I am not that person that I thought I was and consequently where I'm going is going to be moderated by this reality test. I that is really that's very different. So she um at at the outset of the story she's you know very self-confident. She has trained for years with her father learning how to use a sword. Swords that are illegal, by the way, um, but she's she's learned how to to wield one, and she looks at the role of her mother as you know something less than. Her mother is very domestic. She, you know, provides food for the family, and she views her mother as weak, and she really wants to distance herself from that. Um, but through the course of of the story, she discovers that. Yeah, she can wield a sword, but maybe not when things are as tough as they are in real life. And she has to take a step back. And her profession is one of healing that in the modern world would be sort of equated with Reiki or something like that. Maybe in this story, it's a little more concrete than that. Um, but that's that's her calling in life. And she um, she has some weaknesses there that she needs to overcome. And she's sort of looking at this destroyer that she comes into traveling with and he's he's toward the end of his life he has extensive training in the art of war he's you know a very strong individual and he views her as just this puddle of weakness um and they have to spend the entire story sort of bouncing off each other finding sort of their their true true way moving forward I think it's important to pause at this point because when you're listening to a really, really heavy piece of music, uh, you can be crushed by it unless there is that magical little pause where you let it all sink in for a minute. And then you come back a little bit refreshed. See? See, let me, let me t uh, say to all of you that aren't here with us right now at the table that <clears throat> the three of us share something. And that is uh, we all have a certain language and a certain affinity for swords. 
the Burnett clan, and, and that's my surname. I'm not just Bolina uh, Farmer. Um, it's Burnett. Um, in the northwest of Scotland, in the Aberdeen area, we were the people that wielded the claymore, which is that six-foot sword that was swung and chopped off Roman heads as they, as they tried to invade our, our place. And, and the Burnetts were probably the best users of the claymore. We were big people. Um, I'm six foot four, and my brothers are almost seven feet tall. And, um, and when I met Z, for actually the first evening, um, and I don't know why I asked her when she was buried in the hero vault, what objects would she take with her? And without hesitation, it was her, her dog, you know, and she's got big dogs. These are not like pets. Um, these are the heroic sort of things that come are with her family. Are they livestock guardians? Yes. 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 And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and she said her sheep, I, I think, which is kind of lamb, uh, lamb, which is her spirit animal and her sword. And it just came out, bam, bam, bam. And that you also um, talk about a sword that's not legal, but she has learned how to use this. I, that is um, something, I don't know if all of us have an affinity for, towards something that we really don't use in this day and age right now, but has part in our really old memory brain. Because there was a time when as humans, you if you didn't have a sword, you were not really gonna walk down that road. And I think we still have that. And mm -hmm. so um, this this idea that the sword is a very important tool and object in this girl's world. Tell, tell us more about the, the sword and the relationship this girl has. And the world that she lives yeah, in. Yeah, and the world, yeah. So if you can envision, you know, a, an alternate world, but very similar to what this land would have been in late 1800s, very early 1900s, where there was probably a big difference between uh, metropolitan areas and rural areas and the way they lived. Um, I, I took a little bit of a page out of the book of the anti-rent wars mm -hmm. um, where there were, um, you know, farmers that were really struggling to, you know, make the rents on their properties. Um, and sort of a political upheaval where the farmers won out. They were able to purchase their lands, um, and they elected a governor that was sympathetic to their, to their cause. Um, that, that's part of the backstory. So the world now is one where um, southern estate farmers have tried to wrest political control and... It's an era that is mostly steam generated, um, but otherwise a little a little backwards. And in general, you know, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight. So this is a world where there is no gunpowder, there are no bombs, um, no guns. So bows, crossbows, swords are are the means of protection. And as a as a sort of sign of goodwill after after any sort of <laughs> similar to anti-rent war upheaval, um, everybody had to give up anything that was not necessary for hunting or survival. So swords and crossbows and longbows became mm. illegal. Mm -hmm. And illegal though they were, many of the, the people in this society kept what they had. They hid them under floorboards and in barns and you know they were they were prepared should should anything ever happen. So and the story is set in a time of political corruption, and 
she's been she's been trained yes as as somebody that can that can handle a sword can defend herself she carries a dirk you know in her waistband at all times um but she's never been tested she's she's trained in the barn with her dad and and there's a certain you know comfort with that where you're not actually fighting for your life and while i was writing this i took some some sword fighting lessons approximately two with who um there's a like a historical sword fighting group um they used to give lessons out of the former cardio club um and i i i just went to two and that was enough for me to know that i personally am not cut out for sword fighting um there's it's like chess you have to know what the other person's doing and it it gave me a, a immense respect for people that can actually fight with swords and i mean it and it wasn't it wasn't fencing yeah, I mean, you're swinging a real sword. I've, I've done a little bit of that. I've sponsored sword fighting in our community hall in Bovina. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people show up. <laughs> um, but you're right. It's not for everybody. And, and you can just feel that there's risk. Mm-hmm. And if you know how to do it well, you're going to dominate. If you don't, you're dead. And and that is probably the the big thing that the main the protagonist reflects of me is that I just don't want to get hurt. Yeah. And yeah. there's, you know, somebody that has a good command of a sword. If you're not right there with them, you're going to get your knuckles crushed at best. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and so Liana in the story is contrasted with Oren, who is the destroyer. And his, you know, his fighting implement is an extension of his own body. And there's a familiarity with that. He is a, a precise, very accomplished fighter who has quite a tally of bodies stacked against him, um, which he struggles with. And, you know, so they're, they're definitely coming from opposite ends of the spectrum. So, so was, he, was he banned because of being a weapon? No, no. He, um, he was part of a, a venerated uh, group as part of the king's army. Um, you know, they were they were assigned to the caravan of the king. They were supposed to protect the king. And if you think about it, um, you know, a, a unicorn has really no protection on their forehead. So it wouldn't be really all that wise to engage with a sword. Um, so they were, they were mostly for, um, you know, protecting the king in case of ambush. And they, they had steel protectors on their head or... They were for ambushes where nobody knew that they were coming and there wouldn't be much of a fight. And they, it was a, a subsequent ruler that ended up banning them. So I can't, I can't give away why they were banned. All right. But <laughs> no, don't they had to go into hiding as uh, horses. But you know, one, one of the extraordinary, aside from unicorns seducing maidens um, in the woods, the other lore on the unicorn was that the horn itself could detect poison. Mm. So in, in this story, unicorns were invented as sort of a slander campaign against the actual destroyers. So the king, he possessed almost all of the destroyers in his stables. There were some, you know, native destroyers that, that lived out in the woods. But for the most part, he had all of the breeding stock. <laughs> and it was the the fable of the unicorn was something that he spread as sort of this you know mystical magical kind of floofy 
individual that is is part of a a fairy tale and it's not real and it's it's very it's like the opposite of what a destroyer actually was yeah and we don't want you to give too much away however you're starting to get into like please keep on i don't uh, care yeah this is so good this is so good you know i wish it was july and we had a campfire going and and you know i just stayed up all night and listened to this story uh, i'm loving all the stories a, a, a good story, um, and you've described only half of it, uh, comes alive with the balance of conflict. So um, you've described a girl and a horse um, and the, the goodness and in, in the real life in that. But the side that makes the story is the conflict. And, and you said that it's about corruption. So there are these other forces that I assume come from the king. And, and you started just now, and I reason I bring it up is that there's been this misinformation campaign about what the destroyers were really all about. And, and I think probably that is where your story and why she gets called into proofing out what she believes in comes from, that the king is corrupt and evil and um, is not going to serve the people with good intention. It's actually not. Yes, I'm so glad I'm because <laughs> that's such a conventional story. <laughs> Okay, lay it on us, girl. All right, What's so this this takes place um, probably 150 years after the king is gone. The the king um, they they get rid of um, of a monarchy and they go to a nation of states, and it's um, more of a autonomous model than you know the United States. But each state has a governor and. And they have a national military, and that, that's about it. Um, but in the – and I, I'm, I borrowed from Hancock here. The state that she lives in is, is called Kadoja. And in Kadoja, the governor, um, he's a good man, but there's a lot of strife with, um, with these southern estate farms and how they think things should be run. And – the source of conflict is a city-state to the south that is in need of drinking water. And, you know, I'm clearly not too inventive there. <laughs> and that was part of the biggest issue with my writing process is that I had all of these characters that were very three-dimensional to me but completely devoid of plot. So um, I, again, borrowing from history, eventually found one, um, but basically – Politicians that are in bed with an outside interest trying to influence, um, you know, the due process and, and course of democracy and utilizing the state um, in, in the story, a state police force to, to get to their ultimate goals. Yeah, so that's very clever and very, very timely, um, particularly the water issue. I mean, mm-hmm. all, all of that will certainly resonate with what's uh, topical, huh? And so in this, in this instance, um, you know, she, she ends up joining forces with a local militia and sort of a, a theme of the book is whether knowledge is a liability or knowledge is power. And she, she kind of has to navigate that. And so she goes through test after test until she finds her true self through and her true friends uh, to fight the good battle. 
what's the redemption at the end of it? Or is that also just too familiar? Is there something that happens at the end that's crazy? Oh, my goodness. Well, we're, we're a couple books away from that. <laughs> we don't want to oh, know. Okay. Oh, that's right, because it's a three-book thing. You said that the other two you've kind of roughed out. Mm-hmm. And so oh, that, that's lovely. That it's... I, I wrote the whole thing in the first person, and this is sort of an odd thing about the writing process. I, there was one passage, one passage that I thought was particular, po- particularly powerful if it was in the first person, you know, somebody writing a letter to themselves. And so I wrote the whole thing, the whole thing in the first person. And given the fact that I have two children and lead a busy life, I can't say that my writing is a daily thing. So I often would have to come back to it and be like, okay, where did I leave off? What were they doing? What were they thinking? Try to re-familiarize myself. And whenever I would do that, I would find that the first person rang very hollow. And so I've had to put the whole story, all three books worth, back into third person, uh, relatively omniscient narrator, and I alternate chapters between uh, perspectives of three different characters. And that's been, that's been a bit of a hurdle, a very interesting exercise, taking things from first person to third person. Um, but that, that's, been, that's been probably the most time-consuming aspect of, of the whole thing and getting everything all in line with with something that actually resonates with people. And the story carries itself through dialogue, primarily. Or, yes. Yeah. yeah, either either actual dialogue or internal dialogue. And my, mm-hmm. my husband was asking me about this last night. So all the italics are internal dialogue. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Has he read the book? No, no. And so I've I've started reading it back to myself and last night he demanded that I read him the first chapter. So so wow. I, I read it to him and, and that wow. was that was one of the things that brought us together as husband and wife. I went out and retrieved him from Montana and on the drive back from Montana I, I read him um, The Divide by the same author that wrote The Smoke Jumpers. Yeah. Um and that sort of set up a, a habit where I would read to him. But I, alas, am not a very good audiobook narrator, so I'm not going to read him my entire book. <laughs> He's going to have to read it for himself. But you know, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm an avid reader. I mean, I read the back of a cereal box. I, oh, I yeah, don't care. Yeah. I, I just have to read, read, mm-hmm. read, read, read. And I'll read anything. It, you know, it could be nonfiction. It could be fiction. It could be trash. It could be mm-hmm. educational. It doesn't matter. If the first chapter grabs my attention, not necessarily on the subject matter, mm-hmm. but on the writing, because there is so much hokey writing. You can like almost tell from the first paragraph, like, ugh, mm-hmm. you know, and then you just close the book because you don't, you, you don't want to continue. And the most annoying thing that I always found is the pretentious writers mm-hmm. is, you know, to write that first paragraph with really long words. Like, no, you know, if the sky is blue, the sky is blue. It doesn't have to be, you know, five shades of cerulean with, you know, a <laughs> touch of turquoise. And 
Do you feel the same way? I mean, as you're writing, what is it so, that you want to put in that first chapter that people just go, okay, I'm going to stick with this? I've, and I've, I've struggled with that. So, you know, you, you definitely want to hook the person. And I've, that's something I'm, I'm continuing to work on. So as people read it, I'm going to, I'm going to need their feedback on whether I grab them soon enough. And as I've looked at different, um, you know, submission guidelines for getting an agent or different conferences where they'll review their manuscript. I've looked at what they want, you know, first five pages, first 10 pages, first 40 pages. And I flipped through mine and I'm like, oh, am I there yet in those, in those pages? Is there enough conflict? And I've written the bulk of what I've written during National Novel Writing Month, which is the month of November, um, where it's basically a, a challenge to get 50,000 words down. And at, at this point, my manuscript is 120,000 words, which is too long, I, I think, for for one book. You know, the average, I think, is 80 to 100. Oh, is that? No, I, that's an interesting fact. Um, so, so there's probably too many words there. Um, and as I, as I've moved forward and gotten all of those words, I can become more comfortable with cutting some out. It's like, okay, I've got slush. I've got things to work with. I don't have to cling to every word. Um, so I, I might, I've, I've rewritten the beginning. I don't know how many times, and that's probably like the 37th draft is the beginning. And that might have to get rewritten again in order to hook an agent or, you know, right. somebody that would be interested in publishing it. But I, I like, I love to read. Um, I'm not huge on, on nonfiction, but I, I love to read and reading changes who I am as a, or it changes how I write and writing changes how I read. So as I've, as I've written more, I've kind of become more critical of, of what I've been reading. Well, um, all I can tell you is that I probably read a book every two days. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of books given my age. Yes. And so I've read a lot and mm -hmm. I'm absolutely hooked on your book. <laughs> <laughs> just the premise. I, just the premise. I'm dying to read it. Aren't yeah, you? Steve? I am. I'm, I'm absolutely seduced by this world. And what uh, this young lady is going to find in it that will make her become who she's intended to be. Um, and that's certainly an old storyline, but the voice that that happens, uh, the way that you write and, and the way that you make these uh, people and events come alive, it sounds like you've got a gift. Yeah, and, and of course, your audience will be a judge. Of and that. you certainly have an audio gift. <laughs> because we haven't been reading you. We've been listening to you. No, no you, you, lay it out, you lay it out very well. And, yes. you know, that's a measure of you having been with it for so long. And, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's part of your DNA now. Um, the, the, the discipline of going from an idea and, and that's strong enough for you to stay with it is huge and it doesn't visit a lot of people where an idea is compelling enough to wrap somebody in for several years into trying to hone it into something that can be shared that uh, alone brings you to a place where certainly i'm interested in whatever you would have to do um, and i guess we just have to wait don't we until uh until that publisher or until 
um, until I carve the horse and, <laughs> and you give up and just throw if the you carve out. me that destroyer, then I will give you <laughs> gilded copies that I will hand hand write uh, for you. No, please do, because Promise if all you. those publishers are idiots and don't pick up the book, we want it. Well, you have um, a gift, and you have a lot of work behind you, but a lot of work in front of you. Mm -hmm. And because you've gotten yourself to a point where you've got a bar, even though you hold it low, you have this opportunity. Um, you have the opportunity now for people other than you to put their hand on that bar. And one of the exciting things that is in front of you now is that you're going to find uh, people like Z and, and myself that get involved with your story and start to bring that bar up. And that for a creative person where you kind of slip the ropes of your work and you let it see how it plays out in the real world, where the where your boat begins to sail with these new winds, is a very, very interesting part of this new phase of, of what you're going into. And we suspect, and, and I'm speaking for Z, but maybe she's speaking for me, that it will be a pretty good sail. It will be a pretty good ride. Um, yeah. I absolutely think so. And, and what I'm really, really impressed about is that we've covered maybe 5% of who you are, and it's been an entire hour. I mean, we could do a series for the next 10 years yeah. Yeah. of equally fascinating parts. You're an amazing woman. This is this is Kristen uh, Janky Schneider, and she lives in Bovina, where all the beautiful beautiful people are. <laughs> we all know at this point that there's a huge crack in the earth and the vapors come out and they both attract and keep very special people. Um, but the the other thing about um, Kristen is do not cross her. Okay? <laughs> she seems to be a very nice person, but she is like her hero. She swings a sword. She can shoot a gun. She can milk a cow. She can raise boys, boy monsters. <laughs> be careful. Um, I'm just I'm giving everybody fair warning that uh, that she does seem to be very nice, but do not cross this person. She's destined for great things, and um, and she has been I think see I can safely say just another example of why you should give up whatever compe compelling reason that you would go to wings and nachos and the Super Bowl <laughs> and stay with the evening tiffer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Certainly. Um, thank you. Uh, you want to say anything as a goodbye to uh, the one or two people that are listening at this point? <laughs> I think you've covered it very well. <laughs> Z? This was marvelous. I, I'm, 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 I'm thinking about your world, that invented world. I'm just in a daze. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Kristen will be back. This this is a story that's going to continue. And uh, and we will be back, of course, next week. Same time, same station, here right off the middle of nowhere in the mountains of the Catskills.